Hello, you guys, and welcome to the Gladiator Soundboard Podcast. My name is Erica Polacco-Webb, and today I'm going to be talking to Dr. Simon, who is the superintendent of Gower, um, the Gower District 62. Um, this podcast is powered by the Gower Foundation, and we're so excited. This is the first episode, and so we're going to have a great conversation, and um, I'll let Dr. Simon introduce himself to you guys and maybe share a little bit about himself. Really happy to have the opportunity to to join a podcast like this one. Uh, I've had some some experience with podcasts in the past. They've always been they always been pretty good, and uh, it's nice to be able to do something local just for for Gower School District. The foundation and Gower's always been sort of forward leaning, looking for different ways to involve families in our community, and this is just another example of that. So, looking forward to the conversation. I think uh, we have a, a handful of episodes planned, so this will be the first one. We'll come out of the gate talking about the overall educational experience and looking forward to the conversation. Uh, a tiny bit about me. This is my 10th year in Gower School District as uh, superintendent. Prior to that, I had 16 years of experience in the Chicago Public Schools, all different kinds of roles. Uh, anyone's really interested, next time you see me at an event, just stop and ask. Uh, I won't take up too much airtime in our podcast talking about the resume, but I'd be happy to share any of those experiences. They've all been great but nothing really like uh, that measures up to the experience in the last 10 years in, uh, of Gower, especially the last handful. Lots of uh, challenges and, and and lots of what we call in our school district, good things uh, to share. So happy to talk about it tonight and, and looking forward to the following episodes. Okay, thank you. So today we're gonna be chatting about um, the holistic educational experience at Gower. And so I just wanna ask, you know, what does some of that look like right now? Yeah, so you know, sometimes I, I always want to be cautious of putting buzzwords out there. You know, it seems like the holistic experience. Like, what what exactly does that mean? And for us, it really is talking about whole child experience. It's like, what does school mean? Uh, we talk a lot about reading, writing, and arithmetic. At least that's what we've all been sort of told. Uh, to me, it's more about relationships, relationships, relationships from the adult world, and also with our students, uh, with our teachers, and also with each other. So, you know, Gower School District has a motto, children at their best. And I think that really just encapsulates what we talk about with a, quote, holistic educational experience. It's children at their best collectively. So for parents that that are listening, you know, the idea here is your child at their best. What does that look like in and around a school? And we take a big part in that. And um, that's what it means. Okay, so I've heard a little bit about range of readiness model um, that is used at Gower to understand the performance and growth throughout the year. Could you please share a little bit more about how Gower teachers apply this model to help students reach their goals? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so range of readiness, when we talk about this model, really the idea it was born in 2018 here in Gower School District. And it range of readiness is this idea of readiness for the next level of high school. Certainly Gower School District is a preschool through eighth grade school district. Our students largely go to Hinsdale School District 86. So the idea is their readiness to that next level of high school. That's what we mean by range of readiness. And, and, and it, 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 that range is wide. So when we think about individual students, going back to our motto about children at their best, I really like to think about this when I talk to parents individually about their children. It's It's one of these things where if you could just imagine like turning up a dial on, on a volume, you know, like on a radio or something like that. And, and every time you turn that dial up or down, you know, something changes. 
So the idea for us, for an individual student is like, what do all those dials of school look like? What's the educational dial look like? Is it a good fit? Should we turn it up? Should we turn it down? Is it, is it too rigorous? Is it too demanding? When we think about extracurricular activities, clubs, other kinds of things that are related to and around the school, does that dial have to go up or down? And then same thing with just sort of the best question to ask, like good old fashioned fun around school, but also just how is school going? When, when I know I ask my daughters, uh, they're both grown now, but when I think about how was the day, as a parent, that when you get that answer, most of the time it's, oh, it's fine, but you, you prod a little bit and get into that, that discussion with your children, you start to get an idea of how it looks going up or down. So a range is a student might be currently performing at a lower academic level, and we start to think about what does that mean for their experience and transition to high school. And that could be starting as early as kindergarten, honestly, which is, you know, we got to be careful and pump the brakes a bit. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. They're, they're five, you know, but at the same rate, we want to make sure that we're doing our best by this motto of children at their best by making sure we have that right all the way to eighth grade. So that's what range means. It's just where students are along their performance continuum, so to speak, how teachers use it gets a little bit more in the weeds that, than that. The, the idea for teachers is three times a year, there our students are taking this MAP assessment, NWEA MAP. The fact that our upcoming board meeting, uh, February 21st board meeting, we'll be talking a lot about that mid-year progress. Teachers use that data. So those are sort of like your health checkups uh, that are a little bit more frequent from an academic standpoint of how are things going and what is that range looking like and how ready are they for the next level? Uh, that's really what it means. Okay, that's very comforting as a parent to kind of really be able to understand and grasp kind of what all of that means. So moving along to um, the classroom and just different kinds of learning styles, um, we do know that research shows that there are multiple learning styles. And so we would like to know how does Gower teachers work to identify a student's learning style um, within the classroom with there being so many learners present? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a great question. I, I really appreciate that one because it it drives at the point and keeps us as a school district accountable that if our mission is really about every student and every child finding the best fit for, for them and their needs, uh, then then this question about learning style has to has to be answered, right? It should be a comfortable answer. And, and it is for me because, first of all, yes, there are multiple learning styles. You know, typically we talk about you know, how, how do students learn? Are they visual learners, auditory learners? Uh, is it a kinesthetic, you know, movement or tactile? You have to, you know, see and touch these kinds of things uh, to, to move forward to really understand it. I think that's probably the best kind of learner to describe myself. And then and, and, and other examples of more preferences, but they're generally considered learning styles, individual uh, or group. Uh, how does that work for a student? And even the use of technology, you know, so all these things are really uh, ebb and flow throughout you know time in terms of how schooling works for students. So to, to get right to the point, how do, how do teachers do this? Well, first, before we even get into a classroom, there are a number of learners in a classroom, but we're really proud and our, and our board of education has been supportive for for you know years, my 10 here for sure, and prior to that, of maintaining relatively small class sizes. So just right out of the gate for us, we'll have smaller class sizes than what you'll generally find. Uh, that's 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 a great opportunity for our teachers just right up front. So there's less learners in a classroom, comparatively speaking. But 
you know, hey, we don't look too far beyond our own boundaries. We think about the learners we have in our class, whether it's 16 of them or 18 or 22 of them. Some of our middle school classes might be a little bit larger, certainly band and PE, those would be a little bit larger. But all that said, what we have to think about is going back to this idea from the beginning of the podcast, talking about dials and really seeing what works. You know, I think of uh, Goldilocks, you know, is it too hard, too soft. What's the, what's the right fit for these these students? And we have to figure that out. So year in and year out, multiple times a year, I said we test three times. That's a formal benchmarking assessment. But these are more formative assessments that take place on a daily basis for sure. And oftentimes, multiple times during a day. Uh, if, if you're a parent, think about this as like, I'm on a road trip, you know, beyond the question of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You're checking on how everyone's doing, you know, hour in, how's everyone? Anyone hungry? Anyone need to stop? Another hour. How's everyone doing? So think of teaching that way as like, it's a long school day, but mm -hmm. teachers regularly plugged into what is happening. And that helps us adjust what that child needs. And the secret behind this, and I'll, I'll, I'll be quick on this part of the answer, but the secret behind some of this is, we one we think we have it, and parents can relate to this. But when we think we've got it figured out, don't forget these are students that are growing and changing, exactly uh, daily, weekly, hourly. You know, so mm -hmm. we have to think a little bit about, um, you know, what it is that the individual student needs now, and paying close attention to that, so that uh, we are hitting that exact best fit, the best we can, and being realistic about the fact that it does change over time. Nice, nice. That's that's comforting to know, especially, um, you know, having young learners in the district. And I know that's a conversation that a lot of parents that are interested in the school district, you know, they kind of want to know. They want to know how how will my child fit into this classroom with different learners at different stages? Mm -hmm. So that's great to know. Uh, so Gower does a great job at building classrooms where there's a range of students, performance levels are, are represented. How do teachers differentiate their instruction in the classroom to meet the different levels of learners? Yeah, that's, I would like to say that they're magicians and they're just <laughs> amazing at what they do, uh, teaching as an art and, and, and they're amazing. That is part of the answer, honestly, but but I, I can go a little bit deeper with that. But first to talk about and thinking about one of those first prompts and questions, holistic education is like, wait, what does that mean as a parent? Like every word right now and every description about public school is really, really important because in more in my career, this is my 26th year in education. I haven't seen as much public attention or more more attention on public schools in the media than we have over the last handful of years. So that said, it's got a lot of attention on it. And that's and to me, that's a that's a good thing. I, I love the fact that people are asking questions and really wanting to know what's happening. So so this podcast, a, a testament to that from from the foundation's point of view. And, and you know, I'm glad to participate in it. But but saying that it's another buzzword in this question, differentiate. So to come back to the questions like how do we differentiate instruction? So to to take the, the buzzword out of it, really, just to, for a touch, it's like we end up with, let's say, 20 students in a classroom. And let's just say that, you know, generally speaking, there are four generally accepted learning styles, visual, auditory, like a read-write, maybe tactile might be called that in, in some spaces, and kinesthetic, moving around. If that's the case, and it was as easy as to say, well, we got 20 of them, there's four, and it just worked out that there's five of each kind of learner. If that was the case, just think of how to juggle that. Parents that have multiple children uh, know this well, especially if you have two or three in, in grade school at the same time. Someone's mm -hmm. in fifth grade, someone's in third grade, someone's in kindergarten. Not only is it difficult to say, 
you know, what's for dinner and how do we figure that part out? You know, everyone <laughs> has their preferences and needs, but then it's other kinds of things too, their interests, you know, the demand of time and, and all this. So differentiating is really trying to just do your level best, knowing what you have in terms of students and their needs, and then taking this really important, but unfortunately limited resource of time and, and, and making sure that you're, uh, trying to hit all of those needs the best way possible. And it's not just learning styles. So if it just broke evenly to say 20 students, four learning styles, oh, we have five of each. That that probably has never happened in the history of education. But if it was that case, you could think of how difficult that might be. But let's let's put on top of that the fact that it's not just the learning style. We go underneath that learning style because actually many students have multiple learning styles and it can change over time. It's what their actual academic learning needs are at the time. Mm -hmm. So it could be that it's math or it's science or it's in math. It's a particular strand of content that we're looking at that most of the math unit is totally fine, but there's just this other couple parts to it that the students still working on and still developing in teachers by doing the formative work Another buzzword. So, but, but doing the regular <laughs> checking in, mm -hmm. doing that regular progress monitoring of like, how's it going? How's it going? How, like, crazy about it? Like, how's it going? How's it going? Multiple times. The idea then becomes we should be able to make those adjustments on the fly or day to day or week to week. And as the assignments come in and those conversations and relationships, which what we started this whole conversation tonight with, that's where that kicks in. When you have that plug of a relationship with the student and you are really understanding as a teacher and educator what they need, then you are able to make those adjustments hourly, period after period, weekly, and so on. So that's what we mean when we talk about differentiation. I think it's helpful for parents to, to sort of get a peek behind the curtain a little bit to understand what that actually could, could look like in, in real space and time for their child. So, so what it could look like is what we would call centers or smaller groups in, in a classroom where uh, we might use the word like stations that you could imagine, oh, right now we're going to be working over here on this particular skill set, and then we're going to work over here. Sometimes it could be a group work independently, and, and it's, it varies grade to grade, uh, hour by hour. So the idea is that all of that planning teachers do. So you look at a teacher schedule, uh, and and to me, they're 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 it's heroic work. Like they're just constantly figuring out what it is that every student needs and trying to adjust, as we do with parents and in, in, in ourselves in in a real world. But that's what it might look like. Um, that's it in a nutshell, I think. But when we we talk about how much planning goes into it, and then we go and teach, the teaching part is actually. And if teachers hear this, you know, they might they might shake their head just for a second, but I think they'll they'll know where I'm going with it. The teaching part, the instruction part is actually probably the easiest part. The planning going into it and the adjustments after it, that's where the real work takes place. And um, if we're not paying attention to that, that's where students can fall behind as individuals, not have their needs met. And um, quite honestly, it's just not that's not good enough. Uh, so that's why we do it the way we do. Okay. Okay. So speaking of kind of progress and how, how all of that is done, what, um, what do teachers do? What do teachers use to understand progress over short-term and long-term and adjust their teachings in the classroom for that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so one, when we're in these kind of centers or small groups, you could do they're, they're simple sort of um, strategies like an exit ticket, like how is it going right now? Uh, it could be this way. We're doing this podcast right now and off to the side, we could be like, hey, quickly, thumbs up, thumbs down, like how's it going? You know, so we can get a quick progress monitoring and say, nope, we need, you know, slow down, we need to speed up those kinds of things. So that is a big part of what's happening in a classroom. We also have this like strategic grouping is what we'll, we'll call it. But the idea is that depending on a child's current performance and that word current, that description is really important because it can change. But current performance, teachers then are able to identify, oh, in this case, Erica and Victor, you, you know, the two of you are working on this particular strand. So along with these other two children, you know, in your class, these classmates, these four working on this particular part, we can watch how that progress you know, what happens over time and keep measurement there. So those those groups are really, really important, but you need to be able to have the assessments in place to do it. And that comes from teachers in the classroom. But we try to hold ourselves as a bigger school system accountable by doing what are referred to as these benchmark assessments with MAP. So students will say at home, oh, how was school today? Oh, we were MAP testing. You know, that's, that's the, that'll be the reference. We were MAP testing. And we map test at the beginning, the middle, and the end. How do we start off? How are we doing so far in the middle? And that just, that just happened. And then how are we doing at the end? Our district goals, you mentioned long-term, but our district goals, our principal goals, our, our, each of our principals, our teacher goals are aligned to that, uh, the results and the outcomes that come from those benchmark assessments. So they become really important at the, at the same time, not so important that we want to have more stress in, in inducing events or anything like that. So you might hear children, and this is how we would know if we're doing well with it. And we do ask parents this question uh, every chance we get. And certainly when they are sitting with teachers during conferences, but how's it going? And, and it's just a really simple question, but it's important to, to hear that. We'll have students that want to hit their goals, right? Like they know what their middle of year goal is and they know what their end of year goal is. And I think that, and I've always felt this way, but I think that having students take part in their own progress, like we don't keep it a secret what their goals are. Mm -hmm. um, they know them, parents know them uh, in, in, in many cases, maybe not always, but uh, students certainly do. And they work toward them. And, and I think that's a pretty special balance to be able to say, we do want to be accountable to our learning. But we don't want to stress anyone out, but at the same rate, we are want to be public about this too. So anyone listening to this, you know, if, if it sounds like, okay, you know, I'm kind of nodding along. I, I, I understand what's happening. That sounds pretty good. There, there are a lot more details behind these, these answers I'm giving. And we try to put as much of that uh, onto our website, public facing sort of, you know, uh, resource, but under the district website in the district info tab, there's a, a separate page called academic performance. And I think that anyone that's really interested to go like deeper with this, like a graduate level, you know, conversation about it would go to that website and have a better understanding of how we really report out that accountability of what we're doing as a school district when it comes to learning. Again, all under the umbrella of children at their best. Mm -hmm. And parents hear this as please, like anyone listening is like, that means your child at their best. It doesn't just mean like, okay, children at their best. So you know, everyone's kind of okay. No, it's children collectively saying at their best, meaning the individual child. So if there's a parent listening to this going, 
okay, I, I like what I'm hearing, but that's not my current experience with my child. Like something's not quite going along with what he's saying. You have to reach out, right? Like, the, so like that communication is just so, so important. We try to do this with parent conferences and email exchanges with teachers and so on. Mm-hmm. Our principals are fully engaged. And, and, and you know, if, if any parent ever found that not to be the case, I would say, you know, try at least benefit it out one time, send a second email. If you didn't get a reply, you should mm-hmm. within a day. Uh, but if, if, if not, you know, send that second email and then just continue to press because it's just too important, right? Like I say casually often, I've been quoted for this in, in different places, but I say, when it comes to education, this ain't a dress rehearsal. I actually say it even, you know, less grammatically correct by saying this ain't no dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I say it to get people's attention because of the fact that there is an urgency to this work in the sense that they're here right now, they being the children, they're here right now. We have to get this right now. So it does put a little bit, well, actually maybe even a lot of it of welcome pressure professionally on us as educators. You know, that's how serious we take it. And I always just feel that if it's not feeling that way for you as a parent in any of these cases, you, you have to reach out, right? Like, and, and advocate in some sense and, um, I learned that as a parent myself, and I always try to repeat it in spaces like this whenever I get a chance, because just far too often when we talk about everything tonight so far, how do we differentiate? What's the experience look like for kids? These are all, you know, great questions, and then they're aimed at having children be at their best academically and socially, emotionally, all of it, right? Like we want them to, the whole package, we want the student to just thrive when they're here. Um, But there are times where that might not be feeling like it's the case, and then more times than not, parents may just feel like, gosh, it's just so complicated, or I don't want anyone to think, you know, bad about anything. So they might just sort of be okay uh, for too long with something. And and I just don't want that to ever be the case. Uh, it's just too important. So yeah, I think I'm off, a little bit off track on that. Gotcha. No, no, thank you. No, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. because stuff. No, I appreciate that because I can, Thanks. I can understand and hear the passion. And I really do appreciate as a parent, you know, just the amount of access there is to information and you guys even being a proponent for advocating for your child and things like that. So all that is really important. So moving on to the early learners, right? The pre-K program that you spoke of earlier. Um, We know that Gower has this um, early childhood preschool program for pre-K three and pre-K four. This program focuses on early intervention for students identified to receive additional support. As students transition from preschool to elementary school, they join peers who come from a vast array of just different experiences. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand what types of programs are available for students as they transition to elementary school and the accompanying supports that these students receive? That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a a big question and an important one. So I really appreciate it. And to, to, just so I'm hearing it clearly to, to, to summarize, it's, you know, we've got our early childhood center, right? Our, our pre-K three and pre-K four. So three and four-year-olds in preschool. Preschool is not compulsory. You don't have to go to preschool, and, you know, but we really encourage for our, our families to, to have their kids go to preschool. You also mentioned that this is an early intervention program for students that are identified to receive additional support. And that's true. This is a grant-funded program and it houses roughly between 60 to 70 students. We have four sections of our pre-K two in the AM and two in the PM. So it's a half day program. 
you know, roughly 16, 17 students in a class. So it will be somewhere between 16 and 70 children. Uh, most we can go up to is about 80, uh, 20 per class, and that's getting a little bit too big. So we keep it in the mid-60s. And this is based on students who have already qualified. Quali and that's important to, to, to hear that term. They, they've qualified for this program. And the qualification comes from early childhood screenings is the appropriate term to use here. So there's early childhood screenings that the school does and determines whether or not there's a particular need around, let's say, things like language, speech, motor skills. Uh, there could be some other kind of developmental um, uh, needs, social emotional needs, but typically a combination of. Could also be economic uh, needs as well. So all of this screening takes place uh, early on. We try to do, and it can be as early as two and a half years old. So what ends up happening here is there's outreach from us. We, we, you know, families that are looking for preschool program typically reach out. We try to put this out there as best information as that we can. A lot of times uh, parents will go to private uh, preschool programs in the area and, and find out, oh, there, there is a public school option. Let me let me go and check that out. So, so we do a lot of outreach and, and as best advertising, so to speak, as we can do. And then pending the results of all these screenings that take place, three times throughout the year, typically. And, and if somebody new moves in and we have to do a screening, it, you know, it's fine. But these screenings take place, uh, like I said, three and four-year-olds will even start at two and a half years of age to really get lined up to when they turn three, you know, we could, we could get them to school. And if they uh, qualify, they're in. So I'll come back and I'll talk about what those, what those programs look like as they, as they matriculate up into our elementary and uh, into our, our middle school over at Gower Middle. But when students do not qualify, we try to encourage those families to seek either uh, another option, an alternate option, like a, a private pre-K program. A lot of great ones in the area. Uh, people shop around and they could kind of find these things out. Many families actually say, okay, you know, hey, um, I'll just see you uh, for kindergarten, you know, and, and, and they come <laughs> back. So that brings up a point, as you brought up in this question, that regardless of where they start in preschool, whether it's private or they don't go or they're in our program, at some point, they come in and funnel into our kindergarten program, and our kindergarten program could have anywhere from 80, typically it's in the 90s, but it can be up to 100 students. So depending on how many sections or classes of kindergarten we'll have, 100 is a lot for us. If we had 100, that's five kindergarten teachers. Um, if we have less than 100, depending on the exact number, it's either four or five sections of full-day kindergarten that we have. We had full-day now for probably six, seven years, I think it is. So, so that said everybody comes into this funneling process of kindergarten. Now, I started by saying preschool, you don't have to go. Don't, don't hear that as it's discouraged. It's just, it's not compulsory. It's not a right. law. It's not mandated. Right. Kindergarten, however, is different. We, we, we need to get you in school. So that said, you brought up the idea that there's like this vast array of you know, background for, for students. So then it gets to the point of now that everyone's here and assuming we all got them in kindergarten, what are the programs that, that we have? And, and there are a number of them. And here's where it's really amazing. If you just wanted to do a unique study on teacher speak and how we talk to each other and a parent decided that's not an educator uh, professionally, all parents are educators, certainly, but not, not a the licensed educator teacher. If they just kind of listened in, you'd hear all kinds of acronyms and, and, and buzzwords. And we speak so freely about those kinds of things. And, and oftentimes we might forget uh, that not everybody knows what those things mean. So this is a great question, <laughs> those programs, because I would say something like ELL or EL 
Um, when I talk about ELL, that's English language learner. So these are students that might have a different language other than English spoken at home and may not speak English at all, at all as a student. And if that's the case, they would be what we would call in short term, an EL student, an English learner student. That's one program. Mm -hmm. And, and where, when a student enrolls, whether it's kindergarten or seventh grade and wherever they come from to us, a home language survey will be given, one of these kind of screenings, and it will determine whether or not they would qualify for that particular program. So every program I'm going to speak about is a qualifier has to happen. If no qualifiers are, are kick in for a particular student, then you will get the old-fashioned general education program, which is great. You know, mm -hmm. General education. Many students have access to different programs depending on these qualifiers. So I'll come back to them now. The English learner program, we determine if another language is spoken at home other than English. Depending on the answer to that, we go further. What about what's the frequency of that other language being spoken for the child? We screen, do, do they speak English? Yes or no. Depending on that, we have levels of need. And that will come with supports around learning the English language. So that's a pretty easy one to, to, to follow. When we think about another program that's called the special education program, this one becomes, and all of these are mandated by statute and law, but when we think about a special education program, this would come with a different kind of screening depending on the academic need or could be other needs of student. Without getting way in the weeds on the actual answer, the screening for home language is pretty easy. Is another language other than English spoken at home? Yes, no. If yes, we move on. If no, that's that's they don't qualify generally. When we think about special education, there are eight different domains and it really gets into it. We have special education teachers that are experts in this field. And so they will be involved in, in trying to figure out if any additional services are needed for the student. If the answer is yes, then that becomes a special education program student. They're enrolled in that program as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly general education is there. Special education is there. The idea of turning dials up and down really works well here. How many services do we need for special education? And there could be students that need special education and also home language or, or EL. So right away, it starts to become complicated. And we have this diversity in terms of need from a program perspective. So English learners, special education, some parents that are that are aware and, and, and might be listening underneath the umbrella of special education is, is where it commonly falls, but you would hear the 504 program, section 504, and that goes back to a fed, federal statute. I almost yes. said a fed statute. I almost went into talking like a teacher here, but we, we go into <laughs> a federal statute and this would be considered like a health or medical program. A good example would be a student, let's say, pretty significant asthma or something like that, or um, visually impaired or something to this, this degree. There could be different programs tied directly to a health or medical type condition. Obviously, has to be followed very closely. Uh, medication could be involved, these different kinds of things. So we would work very closely with that family to, to qualify for that program. So that's another one we have. Uh, there are others. For instance, there is a homeless program. Uh, in my days in the Chicago public schools, this was changed to be called students in temporary living situations, which I think is actually a better term because it captures a little bit more precisely what some students experience uh, when they do not have regular housing. So students in a temporary living situation might be doubled up with family. Um, 
know, it could be a situation where there's something at uh, wrong with the house. Uh, it could have been a fire. They could have lost their home. It could have been evicted. All these kinds of things. Um, but we call that a uh, homeless program. Free and reduced lunch program certainly is related directly to economic qualifications. And then one that we get a lot of questions about is our AT program. So right away, we say AT. And let me just tell you what that stands for. It's the Accelerated Track Program. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say it again, you know, for the people in the back too, because it's like you say the AT or Accelerated Track, it usually gets parents to kind of lean forward a bit and be like, oh, Accelerated Track, I, that sounds great. You know, um, so we, we, we qualify students for that beginning in third grade around math and English language arts, which is kind of fancy term for saying, you know, reading is what we would, would essentially say more complex than that. Our reading specialist wouldn't like me saying it that way. It's ELA, uh, but English language arts. But that said, the academically or the uh, accelerated track program, the uh, AT program is one that we've had here for, for uh, over a generation. And that is something that students will qualify for based on how they're doing academically. So as you can imagine, um, roughly a thousand students, all different needs, close to 40 different languages spoken in our school district, all kinds of needs across in diversity, and not just ethnic diversity, economic diversity, a diversity of levels of education, all kinds of diversity in our school district. Instantly, we have different sorts of, of needs, different sorts of uh, approaches that need to be used for all of these programs. So right away, we have to differentiate or meet the needs of individual students. So it's a, it's a long answer, but it's 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 important one because we have so many programs in our in our school systems. And not everybody's familiar with them and not everyone is experience is the same. So that said, you could be neighbors and both get on the same bus. And if you take the bus to school and both go to Gower Middle School and everything is, you know, seems to be exactly the same, but they could be in entirely different programs depending on their individual needs. And even if they're in the same general education program, all those other ones aside, if they're just in the general education program, I will almost guarantee that their needs would be different in that program as well. So um, that's the trick. And, and that's why I said right earlier in uh, uh, an answer, just sort of, you know, uh, jokingly, but, but partly to say that teachers as magicians, right. And teachers as, you know, <laughs> really artists in, in, mm -hmm. in expert level at what they do. Uh, so you know, we're proud of our staff. They, they do a really, really nice job. And um so I think that answers everything about our programs. I, I hope I didn't leave any out. <laughs> no, no, that was so very helpful. A lot of times we are not aware of just how many programs um, that the students have access to. And so it's great to kind of hear about all of that and what they kind of um, encompass. So um, moving on, if you are a parent um, and you like to plan ahead, which I do, <laughs> um, and you want to ensure that your kids are prepared academically for the transitions between elementary and middle, as well as middle and high school. How does the district work across buildings to ensure that the fourth and eighth graders are meeting all of the mm -hmm. academic standards necessary for success throughout their educational journey? Well, that's the question, right? Like that, that, that's the wrap on the podcast, this question, right? <laughs> all the other ones are really great questions, but, but in the end, it, it really is about how we are handing off the baton to, to, to the next lap or the next mm -hmm. level. And, and respectfully, I'd add in kindergarten as well. Like how are we getting students prepared for kindergarten? We spent some time talking about preschool. That's mm -hmm. a big way of getting students prepared for, for kindergarten. If you recently had an experience as a, as a parent enrolling a kindergartner, or it's been in your last couple few years, 
you, you would know that there's different orientations. You can take the bus to school uh, b- before school starts. We really try to get our families involved in that orientation as well. So, so kindergarten is the early entry, and we want to make sure that they're prepared for that. Now, being academically prepared, our preschool program does a really, really nice job. But as soon as they're here in kindergarten, we want to make sure that they're ready socially too to be ready for for kindergarten. So, so that's one. It's a, it, it can be viewed as a, it is a long day for for kindergartners. Um, and and when we think about the demands that that we have in place, and 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 again, and respectfully, our families have in place for us. It's a, it's a high performing school district. So, for us to have shifted to a full day kindergarten program years back was part of the community, um, our response to, to, to community expectations. So, so we're really proud of our kindergarten group. We think about all the step-up activities that they have uh, in the summer for, for them and their parents. And then when you drop your child off, we have even the PTO does a great job with this, uh, the Boohoo Breakfast, right? And the foundation, I think was involved in the last one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's the, um, you know, Boohoo Yahoo. It's the Yahoo, my students are off to kindergarten or Boohoo, I'm sad that, that they're <laughs> off to school. And we see both. Mm-hmm. And where we'll have parents, that have, and this is a true story, we'll have parents have a very, very difficult time dropping their kindergartner off, standing at the front door, uh, upset, crying, and might just sit in their car in the parking lot the entire day for day one of school. That, that That's not uncommon. Now, if there's somebody in our middle school parent listening to that going, oh, come on, you know, uh, by the time it gets to middle school, then it's how was the day? And you, you're, you, you're really pleased when your child gives you more than it's fine, you know, um, then you get to eighth grade and you're thinking, gosh, as a parent, you know, where, where did the time go? And <laughs> wait, high school, hang mm-hmm. on. It's some tough sledding ahead. And uh, so we, I know it, our teachers know it, uh, our administrators know it. So we really, really, really work hard to try to make sure that that transition to high school is successful. You know, we think about transition a lot. Uh, and if we didn't, then I don't think we're meeting the promise that is inherently linked to our motto, children at their best, right? Like that's how I think it's appropriate way to kind of wrap up my comments on this podcast to say, we started with children at their best. We have to end with children at their best. And and tonight we talked, I really appreciate the questions. So thoughtful. Uh, Shout out to the foundation and those that put this together in the background. Uh, I, I really appreciate the thoughtful questions right from parent you know, uh, concerns and, and from parent thoughts, like very genuine. And uh, yeah, I, I hope I did a, a good enough job to answer what I could and look forward to the next one. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This this was a great way to kind of end things here. Um, what is very resounding here is that Gower is small, um, but mighty and full of impact. And so that is something that, you know, we definitely want the community to know about Gower and, and just kind of the work and the great things that's happening there. And so I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast today and just sharing all this great information. It's going to be so helpful to the community. And uh, we look forward to further conversations with you. Thank you. Good night, all. Bye-bye.